0: Hello, and welcome to today's episode, which is very intriguingly titled Love as Critique. Our guest today is Manaswin Rajagopalan, and I'm going to ask Manas to introduce himself.
1: Hi, I'm Manasvin Rajagopalan. I'm a PhD candidate in comparative literature at the University of California, Davis, with a designated emphasis in religion. I am currently working on the early modern tradition in French, as well as in Tamil.
0: So I am very, very excited to know, Manas, what the heck is love as critique?
1: That's a great question. And I think it's a really challenging one as well. Love is, despite everyone's attempts to define it, an unknowable thing in many ways. But I'm interested in this idea of love as being a kind of orienting force within the constitution of literary texts. So I approach love as a form of attention. It's a form of detailing. It's a form of world building. It's a form of interrogating the text as being this space of emotional turbulence. I'm trying to also think about this question of love as critique as being something that unmoors the stability of a text from the question of literary criticism itself. And it borrows from people like Hannah Arendt, who's spoken about love as this devastating force. Even within the world of the text, there is a certain relational quality that needs to be explored. And this relational quality can be
0: explored through one medium, which is love. Can you give us an idea of what are the texts or what formations are giving you the richness for this idea? My
1: own work looks at Tamil poetics, and in classical Tamil poetics, poetry is usually divided into two different kinds of categories. I hesitate to call them genres because they're not quite genres in the way that we know them. Right. But rather, they're poetic moods that are central to the act of making poetry. And so you have these two different modes. One is the mode of the exterior, which is Puram and the mode of the interior, which is aham. And aham poetry is generally oriented towards these questions of love, towards how love can be articulated in its different manifestations. So it makes use of ecological landscapes that are considered to be central to the imagination of Tamil-speaking South India. These landscapes include things like the seashore, the hills, the marshlands, the pastoral plane, etc., And each of them represents a different manifestation of love or a different kind of characterization of love. When I look at these articulations of love in a grammar-oriented sense, because one of the things that's important to remember about Tamil as a language is that the first extant text that we have available is a grammar of poetics, the tulkapiyam The grammar of poetics has an entire section dedicated to the separation between interior and exterior, between love, and acts of valor on the battlefield, for example. I draw from that corpus and try and apply it to other instances of poetics. When we think about Tamil poetics, Tamil poetics manifests across poetry, it manifests across prose, but more importantly, it also manifests in temple structures and in architectural structures. So. One of the things that I'm particularly interested in is in seeing how these constructions of these grammatical objects of these categories play out in an extra-literary sense. That leads me to also think about how we can read other canons beyond, say, Tamil, which is the context in which this originates. So my particular interest is in Moliere's comedies and in fairy tales within the French literary tradition, And I'm teaching this course on major books of the ancient world. Part of that includes looking at texts like Plato's Symposium or the Hebrew Bible. What I'm doing there is really looking at these questions of love beyond just the sort of articulation of emotion, but also as a formal constraint or as a formal transgression. And that has been incredibly productive In some sense, I'm trying to provide my students, but also myself, with the means to think about critical questions beyond sort of the jargon that is so heavy within the boundary of theoretical writing.
0: On that pedagogical note, how do we use love as critique? Or how have you and your students been using love as critique?
1: So that's interesting. We read a number of texts. We read the Song of Songs. We read Sappho's Fragments. We read Shakuntala. We've read part of the Aeneid because it's a very, very long text. But what we realized is that there are certain commonalities that are cropping up across these texts. And these commonalities are really commonalities related to questions of world building of literary expansion, where these texts are talking about love, but at the same time, constantly referring to a world outside of it, outside of the text itself, or even within the text, but hidden from us, because we are not cognizant of those larger social relations that circulate around the core presentation. So there's really an interesting thing that's been happening in our conversations where my students are thinking about questions of, Who is this poem addressed to? Who is receiving it? What kind of articulations of reception can we see? But also, how is love being seen as a sort of unstable force, as something that cannot be controlled, where you have these human figures who are saying, well, we're in love, but at the same time are constantly worried about the sort of consequences of it of the impact of it, the devastation that can come of unbridled love, which is, you know, the dominant theme within that entire section about Dido and her interaction with Aeneas, when Aeneas leaves Carthage and Dido kills herself within the Aeneid. You really see that expansion of love as this world-destroying force, as something that cannot be controlled, that is on this fine line between salvation and death.
0: My last question, how will love as critique save the world?
1: Oof, okay. So this is, (laughs) I mean, it's a common question because people think about the future of the humanities and all of these big ideas of downfall of capitalism, etc. In some sense, I think it is important for us to think about a longer history and poetics of emotion. And I think it's important for us to contend with the heterogeneity of it. And I think that's a really important consideration, especially for those of us in the humanities, because our methods are so dictated by the global north, what they used to call Western civilization, et cetera. So I think my placement of lover's critique would really be in an eye-opening sense, in a means to force people to reconsider the assumptions on which their worldviews are built, their well-done Weltanschauungs are built. Because I think there is a considerable lack of engagement with alternative poetics, especially in my field of comparative literature. Every single sort of big ACLA report says, oh, we need to engage languages that are less studied. And then you look at the methods that are used, even when you're studying like Arabic or Turkish or Cantonese, and they're constantly oriented from a Western perspective, where it's really the Euro-US academy that's articulating how you study things. And a lot of this comes from a deep discomfort with grappling with the question of alternative worldviews. And I think that's a really important sort of thing that love's critique pushes back against, because how can you talk about an emotion that is construed as universal in any sense, without actually expanding your universe?
0: Do you have a sense of the political work that love's critique can do, in terms of understanding the politics inside the text, and also in the hierarchies of the academy?
1: That's an important but in some sense unanswerable question. I do think that there is a necessity to engage with the possibilities that open up with an alternative perspective, a perspective oriented from love, oriented from something else that requires or demands a certain eye for detail We're in an academic enterprise which is constantly trying to find ways to limit the way that we work by like the hour. In fact, we see programs having funding cut. We see programs shrinking, faculty being non-tenured rather than tenured. You have contingent workers across academia. And I think the question of compassion is always a constant one where You do have to be compassionate to people around you. I'm not sure how far my arguments will extend from the world of texts to the world of lived experience. But obviously, I do hope that people think about the possibilities of expanding language use, expanding funding that goes into supporting graduate students who want to work on unconventional ideas, who want to work on world reorientation. That's, I think, the aim of every single graduate project that I've ever heard of. But I definitely do hope that my project approaches it in the same spirit,
0: if not the same effect. That is a wonderful call to the future to end our conversation on. Thank you so much, Manas, for coming and talking to us about Love as Critique. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you for listening to High Theory.